Welcome back in to Ride with the Tide, everybody. I'm your host, Austin Randolph, here with Ethan Haynes. Tough night last night. Um, don't really know where we should go from here, but you just want to check in with you, see how you're doing today. Yeah, better than I was yesterday. Um, I'm ready to move on from this game, so obviously we're trying to record this one within the 24-hour rule and try to get out with all we can. I mean, there's a lot to get off our chest here today, and I don't think there's going to be any holds barred. Yeah, I mean... I have no idea how long this episode is going to be. I hope you, everybody listening sticks with it and gives it a listen all the way through. I think it's going to be a, a lot of really good stuff that we're going to talk about today. Not good stuff, but stuff that really needs to be said. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen. This is not scripted at all. I mean, whatever we say is whatever we're going to say. But I, I just want to start it off and say that all year long, um, I've predicted that this team would uh, right the ship and win the national championship. And I just want to say that I'm completely wrong. This team completely tricked me. Um, and we're going to sound like spoiled Alabama fans throughout this whole podcast because let's be brutally honest and call a spade a spade. That's what we all are. We're all spoiled Alabama fans. Nick Saban has created us to all be spoiled from what he's given us. And not to say that's that's right. Not to say that we don't appreciate everything that that we've seen during his era and stuff like that. But um, he's created an atmosphere and an expectation that we all expect to win every game, every single time we go out, and obviously this is just not what this team is built for. Yeah, I think the biggest portion on that is the fans that have stuck with it throughout this period of time that Saban's been here, we know what to expect, and we're kind of not like Saban to say, but we're on Saban's mindset to where you expect people to be held to a higher standard than everyone else, and I think the biggest thing that stood out to me about this team with that is these players aren't doing that themselves. They're not holding themselves to that Alabama standard that's been set from 2008, 2009, and so forth up until probably, I'd say, 2017 maybe. And those guys were kind of starting then to see that that standard wasn't the standard anymore. And I know you're going to talk about this here probably in a little bit, but I think a lot of that's to do with NIL deals that's going on now. Everyone's about the money and about what's going to happen in their future. They're not about Alabama, and that's my biggest complaint yeah, so far. It's the, the NIL era of college football, I mean, but everybody's having to deal with it. It's mm-hmm. the same as Alabama is. Um, I know that – I can't remember which former player tweeted it out, but he said something about um, Nick Saban talking about recruiting in the new NIL era, saying that uh, we all may have mistaken him for meaning that we were going to have to compete money-wise yeah. uh, with these other schools, but – Maybe in reality, we were looking for guys that aren't really um, caring about his money as much as wanting to play for Alabama and wanting to win national championships and stuff like that. In today's day and age, that's that's going to be really, really hard to find with the social media and that kind of era and stuff like that. Um, but somehow, some way, we got to figure out how to uh, how to fix that if we want to continue to uh, be a competitive football program. Yeah, there's no question about it. And there have been a lot of former guys on Twitter and all sorts of social media coming out and saying that this team is just not mentally there and they just don't have that quote-unquote dog in them like they used to there's not an aggression to want to be the best anymore and I don't know I obviously I think NIL is a big portion to that but I just don't I don't know what the overwhelming factor is whether we don't have that guy on the sideline anymore whether we're not being practicing in that way like we used to I don't know what it is but we just don't have those guys on the team that sort of hold everyone accountable it's a different breed of uh of really kid that's playing this game, the different kind of guys, the different, it's a different era. I mean, all these guys were hateful competitors and, and mean and stuff like that. And you got guys now that are 
we lose a game and they're posting on their Instagram story advertising for their NIL uh, partnership right after the game. I mean, this it's ridiculous. It's very disheartening to see as Alabama fans. I know we all hate it. Um, I think the culture is just not what it has been at all. Yeah. Uh, and it, definitely not what it needs to be. Um, you talked about something on the sidelines like that. I'm not saying that – or here, I'll, I'll start it this way. I think that the strength and conditioning that we have brought in has been great. I think that um, Matt Ray's program, uh, Blue. I know Ray left to go to the Saints, but his program is still there at Alabama. I think that has uh, has been good for us. I, I, do, I really do. But I do think we miss Scott Cochran's energy on the sideline. I'm not saying bring Scott Cochran back. And I'm not saying it has to be Scott Cochran, but I think we miss the edge that he gives our guys on the sideline, the intensity, everything like that. Because um, as a player, you're going to embody what your coach gives. And I mean, you see on the sideline, we're just, it seems we're way too, maybe even analytical, maybe way too technology ish. I don't even know what the word would be here is, but we just don't have the edge. We don't have the grit. We don't have the fire, the dog, any type of words you want to use for that. We do not have that right now. And that is a huge problem. That's a culture issue uh, stemming from the top, honestly. Yeah, I agree completely. And everyone's talking about fire Saban, fire O'Brien, fire Golding, fire all these people. But realistically, it's it's just been building up from not even this year only, but last year too. Everything has just gone downhill. Obviously, we made it to the Natty last year and we had a chance to win, barring a few injuries. But just the way the team played for the bigger portion of last year and this year, too. They just don't have the want that they have had in the past. And the thing that's kind of scaring me is it's like Georgia's taking over our mantle of being that team of dominance to where everyone's scared to play Georgia. They don't want to play Georgia, and that used to be how Bama was. Instead of people going, we want Bama now, they're play- they're saying we want Georgia, and that's just not something I'm looking forward to seeing in the future. Yeah, you know, there have been so many instances from, I guess, 2008 – uh, really, when Alabama jumped on the scene as a as a premier program again, uh, to I guess the last couple of years where the game was already over before we even took the field because people were scared of playing Alabama. People look forward to playing Alabama now, and that's a huge issue right there. Um, when we were dominant, teams were were super scared of playing us, and mm-hmm. I, I just there's there's so many issues right now that it's really hard to get them all out in one breath. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but another thing that I'll say about that is I I personally think the transfer portal is good and bad at the same time. I think um, that there can be culture issues created within the transfer portal. Um, we've gotten a ton of transfers, and a ton of them have worked out. But we've also gotten a ton that I feel personally may be dragging the team down a little bit. Um, it's just – like we've talked about, guys that really want to play for Alabama. So we don't know if these guys want to play for Alabama. I mean, here's a couple of good examples right here. Every every report from from last year is Jameson Williams was a great locker room guy. He came to Alabama because he wanted to play for Alabama. Mm-hmm. He wasn't getting any any chance at Ohio State, so he needed Alabama, right? right? Yeah. Jameer Gibbs, he was an electric player at Georgia Tech. He had NFL buzz at Georgia Tech. He didn't need to come to Alabama. He wanted to come to Alabama to win. Yep. Those are two scenarios which is good, yep. right? Landon Dickerson, the same thing. He wanted to come here to win. Jake Coker, way back in the day, but the same scenario. He wanted to come here to get his chance and to win. Eli Ricks, kind of, he kind of quit on LSU last year, if we're going to be completely honest. So he comes over here, reports of he's a bad practice player, stuff like that. He wants shit to be given to him. 
That is not how we roll here at Alabama. That is not what's dominated college football for the better half of this decade. Mm-hmm. Jermaine Burton. If you want to talk about a guy who doesn't give a shit about winning, that's Jermaine Burton, if, if you want to be, to be completely honest. I mean, you win a national championship. You're a starting receiver on that team at Georgia, and you leave to go to your rival. That's, that just shows me everything you need to know about not winning. And I think we've seen that nine games in from Jermaine Burton is that his want-to level maybe is just below zero, and that's unacceptable. We can't have that at Alabama and expect to win. Yeah, I mean – that's pretty much covering the transfer portal there. I mean, you're not not wrong at all. I think, like you said, it's good in certain aspects and it's bad in others. And I think the issue is we have such high expectations for these guys coming in, which there's a reason they're in the portal at this point. Like Jermaine Burton, he's gotten started over a guy named Lab McConkie, who's a two-star, three-star white guy who's not that good, but he's doing well at Georgia because he wants to be good. Burton doesn't care about being good. He only cares about the money and the NIL deals he can get, the money he'll make in the future because he played at Alabama and the success Bama's had at getting NFL wide receivers out there. Um, another one you mentioned, Ricks. He, Like you said, he quit on LSU halfway through the season last year and we thought he was just going to come in and be a different person at Alabama. I guarantee you he might not be the same Eli Ricks this next week. He might not play. I, he probably has a bad week of practice. It, it's going to be interesting to see what we have going into this upcoming week after what's happened these last few weeks in, in Alabama. We all look at these uh, these scenarios with our crimson colored glasses on because we're all Alabama fans. And we should look at them with our crimson colored glasses on. But when it comes back to bite us in the butt, it just and you take the crimson glasses off, it really looks bad and it's just not good. You talked about all this stuff on Instagram and stuff like that that they'll post after the game. I mean, this is probably stupid, and it's going to sound stupid, but maybe this means something. I mean, maybe even if it's the, maybe even if it's the littlest thing, is none of their guys, or very few of the guys, even have like Alabama football in their bios on their social media accounts. They'll just have, here's my email for NIL marketing. Please hit me up. Yeah. there's It's a big difference in... I know social media is becoming a more big factor in the college athletic world and the professional athletic world nowadays. But if you go back and look at all these former teams and these former players that we've had, they've been more for the team than they have for themselves. And like you mentioned, nowadays it's more like it's a me, me, me game instead of a team, team, team game. No doubt. I mean, and just the game last night, I know this is going to be titled the LSU recap game. Um there's not a whole lot to talk about, really. We kind of got abused in the game uh, physically, and that was really, really upsetting to see is that we didn't look like we were the tougher team. No. We didn't look like we wanted it more, and that's another big issue because that's happened a lot recently, and that just also stems from culture, which needs to be completely wiped and started over again. I'm not sure if um, it wouldn't be a good idea to bring in some of the former guys like Dante Hightower, some of these guys that are that are retired from the NFL to come back in and really just emphasize the Bama standard and the process and buying in because that's what it looks like you see from from teams like Georgia and and really just only Georgia. I mean, <laughs> whatever right they're yeah. whatever they're doing is is working. And the biggest upsetting part of that is what they're doing is what we used to do. Yep. So what we what we used to do is what they're doing, and they're doing it better than what we should be doing. Yeah, I think the thing there with Georgia is Kirby's got his guys bought in that they work together, they will make it this far. And I know Saban's the greatest coach of all time. There's no arguing that, but it feels to me like these guys aren't bought in on the team and making it to their next step. And 
there were a couple of former guys on Twitter the other day that were mentioning that it's not that the players aren't good, and it's not even really that the coaching isn't good, even though you and I both agree there have been a lot of downsides to our coaching so far this year, but it's that these guys aren't in the, have the Bama standard engraved in their mind, and Saban can't be the only one that expects excellence, and it's dedicated to that Bama standard that has won him the amount of games he's won in his time here and the amount of titles he's won in his time here. That's why I agree completely. We need to get some guys who have that Bama standard engraved in their mind and get them back into this program and get them to show things how it's supposed to be at Alabama and how Alabama's been so successful up to this point in time. I, that pretty much nails it. We got a ton of questions. Yes, um, yes we do. A lot of them are kind of the same, so we're just going to go ahead and jump into that. I know that a lot of people are probably expecting more of a rant uh, about, I guess, the season and the game and stuff like that, but we read through all these questions and – I feel like we're going to kind of get into that on its own while we answer these questions. So um, we're just going to kind of use that as a uh, highlighter of what our talking points going to be for the rest of the episode here. So um, I know you got all the questions pulled up here. So if you just want to go ahead and start asking, we can kind of jump into that. Yeah, for sure. The first one, and I think this is the biggest one for both you, me, everyone else who has Alabama anywhere in their heart, is when do we fire Bill O'Brien? I wish it was yesterday. It seriously seems like he has dirt on Saban. Like, I do not understand it. Like, this is a guy – listen to this. We are we gave, <laughs> we gave the key to our offense, the key to our Ferrari, to a guy who traded DeAndre Hopkins, the best receiver in the NFL at the time, for basically a bag of potato chips. Yeah. That's literally what he traded him for. He got nothing in return for that. So we know his decision-making is dog shit. And we're going to bring him over to call our plays. It's just beyond me. Like We watch so many football games with so many elite minds, and there's innovation. There is motion. When is the last time we've done a jet sweep, a pop pass, anything to get our playmakers a ball in space? Probably two years ago. Yeah, with Sarkeesian, when we had a good offense, like – this is literally – I feel like I'm watching uh, an offense from, like, 2007. Yeah. That's what it feels like to me when Peyton I watch Manning this. Brady. This is literally what it feels like when I watch. I watch an, a 2007 boring-ass offense that does nothing, and it just mirrors exactly what we're doing right now, and it's a complete issue. Like, it's just beyond – I don't understand the scheme. Maybe there's not a scheme. Maybe he's just calling plays up there, and he's high off crack. I do not know. But the ball bastard is holding our offense back so much, and it's 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 just unbelievable. And I've said it so many times. I've never seen a quarterback do more with less than Bryce Young, um, than Bill O'Brien, and he's doing less. Or he, Bill O'Brien's doing less with more with Bryce Young. And you know, um, I said before that Bill O'Brien's offensive scheme or lack thereof scheme, and really just step back, make checks, and read the defense as the quarterback, yeah. it's going to make Bryce Young a better NFL quarterback. But Alabama does not exist to make Bryce Young a better NFL quarterback. Alabama exists to win football games. Do we want Bryce Young to be a good NFL quarterback and have Alabama to be a, uh, a key factor in him being a good NFL quarterback? Yes. Yes, we do. That helps recruiting. But we are not here to make Bryce Young a better NFL quarterback. We are here to win games because Bryce Young is an NFL quarterback. That's why we recruited him. We recruited him because he is good. We didn't recruit him and bring him on to say, all right, we're going to do everything we can to make him better, for him to be better in four years than than he is now. Right. And, And it's just holding our offense back a ton. 
I mean, we could be doing so much more with him to be able, as accurate as he is, as quick as he is, all this stuff. He needs to be getting the playmakers the ball just like Tua did. Yeah. Maybe our offensive philosophy has held Tua back and held Jalen back in their first couple of years in the NFL. Maybe that's why it's taken them to now to be a better NFL quarterback. But we, our offense was a lot better with them than it is with Bryce Young, and Bryce Young is hell. He's probably better than both of them. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's probably our best quarterback we've ever had, and we're having the worst offense we've ever had. Sure, we don't have Judy and Smith and Waddle and those guys, but, I mean, we have good athletes. Yeah. We have fast players. Speed. Yeah. We're not lacking speed. Nope. We're lacking scheme. We're not getting the guys the ball at all. And I think I'm, I think I'm winded right there. <laughs> I, I've talked for so long, I feel like, but it's just – we like innovation. We have nothing, no creativity whatsoever. Sure, we have motion, but our motion is so predictable and so bland that it's not fooling anybody. The goal on offense in 2022 is to fool the defense and, and have them not know what we're going to do. But we sit on the couch and call out every single thing that's going to happen because our offense is so predictable that there's nothing that shocks us. Right. Yeah, and- I know we've talked about this in the past with Bill O'Brien. He's definitely he is a great football mind. There's a reason he was an NFL head coach and he's now the offensive coordinator here, unfortunately. But the thing is, there's a difference between NFL play style and college play style. And it's just I just don't know why he thinks that this BS little oh, we'll just throw a deep route here, run a deep route there, you run a deep route too. Um Everyone run the same route we ran on the last play in this exact same formation. With the amount of scouting that's done against us and every team does nowadays in college football, these stupid routes that we run constantly just isn't going to work. And the play style that we've been doing this year is just, hey, hopefully Bryce can either make a play here or hopefully Jameer Gibbs can make a play here. If they do, I look like a genius. If they don't, oh, well, they're not going to fire me because obviously we've shown we aren't doing anything with Bill O'Brien. So I just – I think – this year is 100% his last year, whether he gets a head coaching job somewhere or not. I think if Saban brings back Bill O'Brien for another year, like you said, Bill has something on Saban. There's got to be some sort of dirt he has on Saban or the program, or either Saban's just stupid at this point. And if that's the case, he needs to be gone also. Yeah, well, I don't think Saban's stupid. I do think Bill O'Brien is going to be uh, he's going to be gone after this year. Or I really, really hope so, at least. Better if be. not, there's going to be serious problems, and then we really do need to have a conversation about Nick Saban. Yes. Um, but you, saw, you talked about NFL offense. Even NFL offenses are evolving. Yeah. You look at the super good offenses in the NFL nowadays, look, it's all – it's Mike McDaniel in Miami and his creativity. It's Shanahan's tree. It's uh, McVay's tree. All these guys are super creative. And all the college guys that are successful – all the college offenses that are successful, they have something in common too. They're super creative. So yep. um, we're just none of that. None of the above would be the answer on the uh, multiple choice test there about Bill O'Brien. And I think that's pretty much all we're going to talk about Bill O'Brien right now, that he doesn't deserve any more of our breath. So let's just move on. Well, I hope you're not winded anymore because I got another good one that I know you're going to have a fun time talking about here is when do we fire Wiggins? <laughs> If you know me at all, you know that I hate Holman Wiggins. He's our wide receiver coach. He's been our wide receiver coach for probably four, three or four years now. I, I couldn't tell you the exact date he's been hired. Um, but I think he's absolutely awful. I think he has a lot to blame with our wide receivers being horrible too. I, I think um, he can't escape that. I, I've said for a long time now that 
whatever money he makes in his football coaching career from now on, he should send a fat-ass check to Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, those guys. He should give, He owes every penny he makes as a football coach to those guys. Yep. They were here when he got here. Yep. They were all elite when he got here. Yep. Uh, John Mechie was – Sarkeesian said when Mechie was a freshman, he was good enough to play with those guys. Yeah. So he was already good enough to be a player. Maybe he got a little bit better, but you know what they all did? They all were T.O. in the offseason too. That would be a great wide receiver coach. Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams. When he got here, we used his speed. Yeah. That was a lone thing Bill O'Brien ever did good. By God, he he used Jamo's speed. And, I mean, it was never really elite route running or elite catching ability from Jamo. He didn't really get better. He just got schemed better. And that's hard to say because of our offensive coordinator. Right. But – Something's got to give here. Maybe it's a little bit of both with O'Brien not scheming up these wide receivers to be open at all. Maybe our wide receivers can't get open at all. Maybe that's it. And either way, if you want to talk about it, the receivers aren't good or they're not being developed. If they're just not flat, if they're flat out not good, that's still on Holman Wiggins. Why did you recruit them? Why did he recruit them? So either the evaluation is bad or the development is bad. In my opinion, I think it's both. Yeah. I think he is a horrible coach. And I think he is 1B on ship them out this yeah. offseason. Yep. Both of them need to go. Yeah, you made a great point with all the success we've had at receivers was not thanks to him. It's thanks to the receivers that we had in place when he got here. If you look at all these guys, their route running was already very crisp. Their hands were amazing. They were freakishly athletic. But you look at these guys now that they're his guys. They're his guys that he's brought in, his guys that he's been told to develop and make better. Route running's terrible. They drop the ball probably 30% of the time, and we just don't get open. So obviously there's there's something going on in the receiving room, whether it's him, like you said, recruiting poorly or him not developing correctly. Something's going on. And I think this next season, hopefully both him and Bill O'Brien will be gone, and we'll see a drastic change in our receivers because I feel like the guys we brought in are very good, very athletic players, and there's there's just something holding them back, and I do think it's him and Bill O'Brien. I also do believe that the the talent really isn't a lack. I do think the development is a huge lack, though. Yeah. And if you want to talk about another thing that wide receivers, our wide receivers aren't good at, they can't block. No, not at they all. They can't block. And that, that's on the receiver coach, too. They go through blocking drills with their position coach. And they can't block. Part of that is because we're recruiting just a bunch of midgets. And I understand wanting to create – or recruit small guys and stuff like that. And I didn't probably I probably shouldn't have said midgets. That was probably a bad word, so I apologize. But it's just we're recruiting. I think we're trying so hard to find the next Jalen Waddle when there's only one Jalen Waddle. So we need to get guys that we have had the most success with, and that is elite route runners. If you want to look at the best receivers that we've had, they're elite route runners. We don't have that right now. We have Jacory Brooks who is, I guess, probably the closest thing to that. He just can't catch the ball. Yeah. He he shows up some. Yeah. But sometimes he shows up in a bad way when it hits him off the face mask and drops to the ground. Right. Everybody else, their their best tool is their speed. And don't get me wrong, speed is the best thing for football in this day and age, but speed doesn't matter if you can't get open. Yeah, if you want a bunch of Tyree kills and a bunch of Jalen Waddles, then you better game plan for them and have a better plan set in place for these guys because – what we're doing right now is we're telling everyone to run deep, and if you have four people over top of you, the deep ball isn't going to be open. So we need to – I mean, I, I think it all boils down to our play calling and our 
coaches that we have in place there, I do think we should get a little bit more, maybe hopefully bigger body receivers that are better route runners, better catchers. They don't have to be straight-up speedsters. Devontae wasn't a straight-up speedster. Judy wasn't a straight-up speedster. They were fast, but they got open, which is a big difference than just being fast. Tyree Kill, he's super fast, but he still gets open. There's a big difference in just being fast and being a good receiver. So I think hopefully in the future, if these guys aren't this type players, hopefully in the future we will start recruiting guys who are better at being a true receiver. Yeah, you want to talk about the common theme with all those guys right there too, is they're all physical. Yeah. And you want to talk about the lack of physicality on our team, it just ties into all that. Yeah, one thing I'm going to point on on, on the physicality part, and yesterday on one of the – I think it was the RPO route, and Isaiah Bond had a slant route, and he just wasn't ready for it, and it was incompletion, but – he pulled up and flinched at the linebacker coming in. Now, that's just, that's a, such a bad look to me. And I get – I wouldn't want to get hit by any of these guys either, but you're a football player on the football field. You can't be scared of getting hit. That's part of the game. Um, another question, which I, this is a concerning one for me, can we beat Ole Miss? I mean, we'll look at it later this week when we kind of watch their film a little bit. Ole Miss is going to give us struggles too. I mean, we're going to see what we have on this team – we're going to see what kind of leadership we have. I know it's bad to say the season is over because a lot of teams would like to be in the position that we're in now with just two losses. We're still a top-10 team. Yeah. But for what for what we expect and what Saban has um, made us expect, the season's pretty much over. So, I mean, we're going to see what we have versus Ole Miss when we, um, when we play them Saturday. Hopefully we can have a good week of practice, have some leadership, have some something. I, I just want to see something for the future. Yep. And we're gonna see. We might need to know. We're gonna. We might find out all we need to know about uh, about Coach Saban's future yeah. Saturday too. Yeah, I think that's the, what I really wanted to cover on this question. I didn't really want to dive deep into the game because we will cover the game later on in this week. But I do think that we will see who our true dogs are this week if we have any. I mean, I thought big whack. I, I thought we had some going after the Mississippi State game with how we played there, especially defensively, but. Then coming into this game, all the guys who I thought were these leaders and these dogs just disappeared and they weren't there. So I think going into this week, the Ole Miss question is who will show up to play? And hopefully, like you said, Saban will put in these guys who show this week at practice that they still care about the team and the A that they have on the side of their helmet and on their logo. They care about the Alabama Crimson Tide football program and they came to play for that team. Um, this one, I, it's I. Don't really like this question, but why didn't we bench Bryce? I mean, he's the best player in the country. I don't think you can bench Bryce. He was off last night. Yeah, there is no no way around it. He was he was not himself last night. Um, this past week was the first week he's really practiced at all um, with the team. I think he's a little bit banged up. I think it was very clear and obvious that he was he was hurt last night. Yes, um, but I think you don't you can't bench Bryce. He's the best player in the country. I mean. As bad as he was last night, and he really wasn't good, he scored with four minutes left to take the lead, he scored with three minutes left to tie it up, and he scored first in overtime to give us the lead. When it mattered the most, Bryce Young was Bryce Young. Yeah, realistically, like you mentioned, he was not the Bryce Young that we're used to see, make perfect passes every time, no incompletions, just uh, on the money. But he did what he needed to do to get us the win. When he showed up and stepped up and gave us the lead, the defense just let Jaden Daniels and LSU offense run right down the field and score on us. So a lot of this blame is not only on Bryce, which, yes, he missed a lot of throws, but it's also on the defense and the coordinators there for not adjusting. But with the Bryce situation, 
this was his first week back in practice, so we talked about this. His his arm is still hurt. So obviously throwing nonstop this week in practice definitely took probably a toll on his arm, which is why you saw a few missed throws and not the same zip on the ball that he's had in the past. But for the past month, I would say, he hasn't really been practicing that much. He's been on a pitch count, so his, his connection and his timing with these receivers isn't as great as it was expected to be either. So there is an ex- expectation expectation, excuse me, to see him not be as good as he is, but we're so we're so lucky to have seen how good Bryce Young can be that we expect him to be that Bryce Young no matter what the situation is. Yeah, I mean that's just it's just the biggest tragedy I feel like that we're not going to win a national title with Bryce as the quarterback, uh, as a starting quarterback and somebody has to somebody has to pay for that. Yeah. They they do. That's just the bottom theme right there. That's the Bottom line, someone has to pay for that. That's inexcusable pretty much. I mean, I guess it's the same with Tua. Yeah. At least he got hurt and was out. I mean, Bryce got hurt too, but Tua did not play. Yeah, it's just a shame that a lot of people are saying Bryce isn't one of the best players we've ever had because he didn't win a natty, and I get that. Winning it is what's most important. But it's hard to say he's not one of the best offensive, not only offensive, but players in general that Alabama has seen, and it's – time here in college football. I mean, he's just a freak of nature. I've said it once. I'll say it again. He's done more with less at Alabama than I've ever seen anybody do. Yeah. Um, another Bill O'Brien question, but it also ties in um, to this person who I want to focus on instead of O'Brien. Is this enough of a reason to fire not only Bill O'Brien, but Golding also and just restart? You know, I wouldn't fire Golding. I, I'm, I've advocated for Pete Golding on this podcast. I think Pete Golding is a great defensive mind. I really do. I think – um, he has a really bright future in football ahead of him, much brighter than his, the bastard Bill. Um, but when it's come down to the crunch time, when it has mattered the most, teams have had their way with us on offense. They've driven down the field on us and gotten what they want. I saw something LSU had 230 yards of offense going into the fourth quarter and ended it with like 370. Yeah. That is not, that's the problem. That's the problem right there. You want to look at last year versus AM. They went the length of the field on us to win the game. Versus Georgia in the national championship game last year, and fourth. This is more of an extended example, but in the fourth quarter, they did whatever they wanted to us. They did whatever they wanted to do to us when they were on offense. Yep. This year versus um versus A and M, A and M went down the field. Luckily, they missed messed up the last player. They would have won the game. Tennessee. Tennessee did whatever they wanted to us pretty much all game. But even on the last drive, there's 13, uh, 13 seconds left, right there, and we we let them go down the field. And then last night. It was just inexcusable. So when it matters the most, we are not playing good defense. When the first three quarters were fine, yeah, for the most part, it is just when it matters the most, we back down. That is not what Alabama is built on. Alabama is built on rising up to the occasion and making the play. That is why we have been so good for so long. It's because we make the play when someone has to. Your best players make the best plays. Yeah. And that has just not happened recently and I mean we can say that Pete Golding didn't get run over on third and seven like Jalen Moody did right Pete Golding did not get mossed on Pete Golding didn't get cooked like Eli Ricks did but something has to happen right right there and like I said I think Pete's a great defensive mind I think that he's got a great future in football coaching but getting abused in crunch time is is the worrisome factor I mean the worst call that I have seen all season long is they had third and eight third and nine long third down on uh on their side of the field in the fourth quarter 
the only success they have had on offense pretty much all night long is Jaden Daniels on on a run. Yep. On it on a broken play run, not a design run. We had no QB spy. Isaiah Hastings, I think, was supposed to be in the spy there, but even then, why would we have a three hundred and forty pound defensive tackle in that situation there? And he runs for forty five yards. Yep. Yeah. Before I answer my portion of the story, I I, I want to get out that offenses have changed so much in the year that defenses aren't supposed to hold teams to under 20 points nowadays. If you hold a team to under 30, you should win the game for most portions just because defense is hard to play. But with that being said, I kind of do think we should get rid of Goldie. I just think he's had so much talent this year and last year, not, not even only this year, but last year too, and he just hasn't done anything with it. And I think we could bring someone else in. I know one person mentioned, should we bring Pruitt back? I mean, of course, I'd love to bring Pruitt back. If we could bring anyone back, I'd bring Kirby back. But that might not happen. So if the best we have to offer is somebody worse than Pete Golding, why would we get rid of him? Because I agree with you completely. I think Golding is a very good coach. I think he just needs to figure out when he needs to start making adjustments and how to get light a fire in our guy's ass. There's just there's no intensity from him on the sideline. I think on in this whole entire season, I've only seen one coach yell throughout the entire season, and obviously it was Nick Saban. Where's the other coaches getting on our guys, holding them accountable? And it's just, if Golden can't be that guy, then we do need to get someone else. And I, I would love to have Pruitt back. I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't think Pruitt is a, is a possibility at defensive coordinator. I think that the stuff involving him is, is a little bit too much. Bringing him back as an analyst may may be a possibility and it may really help. Yeah. But you want to talk about defense back then. I mean, when Kirby Smart was the defensive coordinator at Alabama, playing defense was a lot easier. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt got into the tougher area. But still, it was a lot easier. Now, good offense beats good defense every single time. But the biggest difference between Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart, and Pete Golding is the intensity that they instill in their players. Yeah. That, that leaked video or whatever of Kirby yelling at, at his players in that practice, that is awesome. That is great. That happened here, too. That's why we won championships. That's why Georgia is winning championships. That's why they're on the path to win the championship this year. Jeremy Pruitt did the same thing. You want to talk about guys that love their coach, that would do anything for their coach? Jeremy Pruitt, he, he named his kid after Reuben Foster and Ryan Anderson. That is the relationship that they had. That is how much those guys meant to him. And when they mean that much to you, they'll play hard for you. Right. So where is the intensity that we're playing with right now? And Pete Golding, like you said, he just does not light a fire under their ass. I think he's a great coach. But he's got to be a better motivator. Exactly. I think that's what it boils down to. Um, what's the main problem this year? Coaches or players' execution? I think some of both. And I'm right there with them. I think it's some of both also. Yeah, it is some of both. We've talked so much about that. Um, there's really not a whole lot to talk about. But it's definitely been some of both right there. Yeah, it's just when you have bad coaching and then bad execution by players, it just blows things out of proportion. A lot of times if you have bad coaching but your players execute it, you don't notice it. Or if you have – Great coaching, and your players don't execute to perfection. You don't notice it. But this year, we've had players not executing, and the coaching has been abysmal. So everything's sort of being highlighted so far. You want to talk about last year, right there? I think kind of it was the same example, but so much stuff got hidden because of how great Bryce was, and and how fast Jama was, and how good Mechie is. Exactly. Um, when are we going to start questioning Saban? He hires these dudes and lets them make the play call. You know, I think Saban is a, is loyal to a fault. Great friends with Bill Belichick. He hires Bill O'Brien on Bill Belichick's word. Bill, <laughs> so I think 
that may may be an issue. He he didn't really get rid of Bill O'Brien, I guess, because we went to the national title game last year. But I think he's loyal to a fault there. I think that um, I think he sees something in Pete Golding. I, it's for me. I can't say that that's wrong, mm-hmm. right? So I think the thing with Pete is, is fine, but Bill O'Brien is is he's been loyal to a fault with his relationship with Belichick there. I think and. Um, I'll say this, if Saban wants, if this offseason, if Saban wants to continue to do this job, and I hope he does, yeah, then he needs to make significant changes. Yeah. Because if he does not, then the same thing is going to keep happening yeah. over and over again. Yeah. In 2007, after his first year, we made significant changes because he knew that this wasn't right for the program. In 2013... He made significant changes, and I think we're in the same boat right now. So he's either got two options, and he's got to figure out. He's got to sit back and, and figure this out. Either he's done because he's old. He is old. <laughs> or he's still got the competitor in him, which I think he does. Yep. I think he's going to continue to keep going and make the changes that he has to make to be successful. If he makes the changes he has to make, then I, I think that Alabama is going to continue to be Alabama. But if not... We talk about the dynasty over and all this stuff. I don't think it is over right now. It's it's got it's has some chinks in the armor right now though. So some changes have to be made to continue the dynasty, in my opinion. Yeah, regarding Saban, there's a reason he's the best of all time, and that's because he knows when he needs to make changes and when he's, like you said, loyal to a fault. And I think, as you mentioned, he really needs to sit down this off season and realize and tell himself if I want to keep coaching, I need to make changes, and if not. It's time to hang him up and go down as the best there ever was. And if that's the case, that's fine. Yeah. Saban doesn't owe us anything. No. At all. We owe him a lot of our happiness over the last decade. He brought Alabama football back. Yeah, he you want to talk we we both live in Tuscaloosa. He has made the city of Tuscaloosa. Hell, they should name it Saban. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> but so nobody really needs to trash Saban here mm. at all. Um we don't owe him anything. So if he is ready to be done. And doesn't think that he can make these changes and be at the head of a kind of a mini rebuild right. in the months of March to fall camp, then that's okay. Yeah. But he has to know that. Another thing that gets me is everyone acts like the world's burning down. We we have a below five hundred record and whatnot. Well, there's a good chance we still end the season with only two losses. Although that's not what we wanted. But there are a lot of programs in college football that would like to have only two losses on their record. Look at A and M right now. What are they? Three and six. I mean, you think they wouldn't want to be five and two, six and two, whatever? I mean, there are a lot of programs that would only want to have two losses, and people out the world's burning down, and a lot of that is because Saban has spoiled us up to this point with this greatness that we've had over this long run of excellence. And I think the thing that kills me is we've had two lost seasons, three lost seasons under Saban, and what has he done? Bounce right back and got us a natty. So I'm not saying Saban should be done and retire and go right off in the sunset. I still think he has more to prove for himself, not for anyone else. I think he has something to prove to himself. He still can do this job and win a natty. And I really think if he makes the right changes and puts the right pieces to the puzzle in the right spot, next year would be a great year for us. Um, how does it make you feel to see the passion foreign players still have for the program? That's It's great to see, but it's also... It hurts to see, though, that they're this frustrated publicly. They're putting this out for everybody to see their frustrations because Alabama isn't playing to the standard that 
was held when they were playing at Alabama. That's the frustrating part, and we want to talk about culture. We talked about culture at the beginning of this episode. That's the problem right there is we have former players so mad at the the current state of Alabama football, and, I mean, we're not inside the program. We don't know. I'm sure – I am sure they all want to win. Yeah. Every player on Alabama's roster wants to win. But are they doing what it takes to win before the game even starts? Are they bought into the process like uh, Reggie Ragland was, like all these guys that we've seen the former uh, player, like we've seen the tweets from the former players? Are they as bought in as they were? My answer is probably not. No. And in five years from now, when these guys are playing their professional career or, or whatever comes after Alabama for them. I for as of right now, I don't foresee them doing the same stuff that these guys are doing because they're not having the same experience at Alabama as Reggie Ragland, Dante Hightower, all these guys have had. They're not having the same experience they're having. They they had. Yeah, I agree completely. It's kind of disappointing. Not not for, for our former players, but for our current guys. Because I'm not going to name any names, but I had a video sent to me of some of the f- current guys right now. When they got back home, they were drinking, partying, and having a good time. You think any of these former guys were doing that after a loss? You think they were pissed off trying to figure out what they could do to get better and win this upcoming game? And it's just, I, it's like you said, it's a lack of culture and it's a lack of want that's going on in the program. And I think it's great that these former players are pissed off and so upset that we've lost and the way that we're losing because of the current situation going on. And I think we need to bring that back into the program to get things kind of restarted. And we this is this the former players saying stuff on on social media on Twitter. That's happened for a while, mm-hmm. but usually it's someone saying like "run the damn ball" right. or something like that. It's not talking about the culture. It's not on. talking about the culture and the players. It's called talking about play calls and stuff right. like that, which is completely fine. Players should be frustrated about play calls that don't work. Yeah, but right now it's about the culture. It's about what we're seeing. Uh, on the field from our guys, not the play calls, the effort. Yeah, when they're calling out the heart and the want of the current guys on the field right now, that's that's a really big warning sign to me. Um, why not kick the two points, two PATs? Why did we go for two? Saban didn't seem to understand why that was a stupid decision. When we, he was asked in the post-game press conference, all he said was that's what the chart said to do. The first time we went for two, it was, it was the right call. Yeah, I don't remember the exact score or whatever like that, but I think it would have put us up – at yeah, that we were, point it would have put us up four. It would have. I thought it was a put up. It would have put, put us up, up three. Three. Yeah, yeah. Because sorry. it would have been seventeen to fourteen when Correct. it was fifteen to fourteen. Yes. That, you go for two there. Yeah, the second to. time, I don't understand that. I mean, I guess that is what their chart said to do, but that doesn't make any sense because we would have gone up by one point on the field goal right there. I guess if we would have gotten the two point conversion, we would have been up six, and if they scored a touchdown, we would have had to hope and pray that they missed the extra point. Yeah, if, missed the easiest thing yeah, in the game. <laughs> if we have to hope and pray that someone misses the extra point against us, then we're not doing our job. Yeah. So I guess in, if hindsight's twenty twenty, but definitely we should have just kicked the extra point because we would have gone up one after the field goal at the end of the game. I don't understand that. I mean, they prepare all week for this stuff, and they run through all these scenarios, but that's just one that – I'm lost on as well. Yeah, obviously they're greater football minds than we are, so what they say is probably the right thing to do, and I completely understand what they're going for. The first one, 100% makes sense. you got to go for two there. Make it to where if they kick a field goal, you're at least tied. You're not losing. But the second one, like you said, it puts you up six. So worst case scenario, they score, and they have to kick an extra point to win the game. And I mean, more, Against Alabama especially, that's going to happen. They don't miss kicks against Alabama. 
So I, I just don't get why you don't take the point, and then you see what happens. We would have probably won the game. Tennis or LSU would have had to score with twenty something seconds left in one timeout, and more than likely they probably would have done it with how easily they were going through the defense at that point in the game. But our chances were much better to stop them in that situation. And like you said, looking back on it, Saban probably would have kicked the point too. So I mean, it's just I get what he's going with where. You should have taken the extra point on that one, but if their charts say it's better to go for two there, I'd trust them before I trust some random person like myself sitting on the couch. Um, I, another one sort of with the Saban thing. Should the university rename Brian Denny Stadium to Bryant Saban Stadium and sort of kind of let him go? No, you can't do that. <laughs> I just, I think it's kind of, that. I think it's, it's, I get what you're going with. We've, we're kind of going down right now at this point, but Saban's still 100% ready to rock and roll at this thing. And I do think once he chooses to retire, something needs to be renamed and changed to his name because I love Paul Bear Bryant. I think he's arguably one of the better coaches of all time, but Saban's the best. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's time to sort of let Saban ride off in the sunset yet. I think he still has a lot a lot of years left in him, hopefully. And our, our final one here that I have is um, – does it alarm y'all that we had 12 guys on the field after the timeout at the end of the game for the two-point conversion? <laughs> yes. Um, that's horrible. <laughs> that's ridiculous. We didn't call the timeout. They called the timeout. Yeah. That's that's bad, too. You know what that reminded me of? 2019 versus Auburn when Mac played for two of them that year. We lost in the – it was like 48-45 or something like that. Yep. And they had uh, a fourth and four on a punt or whatever, and we had 12 men on the field, too, and gave them a first down. Yep. That was the same exact thing. So we all – let's circle back to 2019 when we were all complaining about losing two games is also. Mm-hmm. Our biggest thing we talked about on that team was lack of discipline. Yep. We are talking about that again. And what was the preseason hype for that 2019 team? The most talented team we've ever had. We had Tua coming back. We had all the receivers coming back. We had everybody coming back. And what did we do? Blew it. We – we're selfish. We were. It was basically a bunch of selfish players. It seemed like, and I'm not saying that two and all these guys are selfish. It just seemed like the culture wasn't there. Yep. The want to wasn't there. They thought it was like going to be given to them. They thought it was going to be given to them, and I think that is a common factor with this team. Is all summer long, all these guys we brought in, we were like, oh, this is going to be the best team ever. No, it's not. They all thought it was going to be given to them, and they didn't work as hard as they should, and that's the issue yeah. right there. Lack of discipline right there. We talk about all these penalties. We got lucky we didn't get one there. We lost the game anyways, but we we got lucky we didn't get one there that would have just given them the game because they would have had to just basically QB sneak it in there. Right. Yeah, I, I think that it's just mind-boggling to me. Not only is it the discipline from the players with knowing what's going on, but also the coaches. Like, how are we not better prepared for that situation? We had a full however many, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, however long the timeout lasted to – no, hey, you're going to be on the field. You're going into the game here. And I get maybe LSU didn't come out in the formation that we expected them to come out in, but still, even if that's the case, we should should know what's going on. And it's just, it's I, I don't know what to say there. It's Like you said, it's really alerting. Also, on that last play, how is Brian Branch not on the field? He's the best player on defense. He's the best secondary player we have. Yeah. And he's not on the field. Malachi Moore was. On that play right there. It just makes zero sense to me. And, I mean, this episode has gone on a really long time. If you're still listening, I, I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Last thing I want to talk about is after the game again, Will Anderson said it was all mental again. We are nine games in right now. Mentality cannot be an issue anymore. 
and it shouldn't be. But I do I I don't agree with what he's saying, but I a hundred percent agree with what he's going for. Like the mental warfare is just or the mental ability of our team is just not there. These guys don't have that mental want, that mental need to be the best that they can be. They as we stated earlier, they kind of expected it to be given to them. They came in expecting to be the best and they thought, hey, no one's going to beat us. But now that they've getting showed that they can get beat, it's all, oh, man, we just weren't ready. My mind wasn't in the game. That shouldn't happen. You don't lift weights for mentality. No. You don't lift weights for heart. No. That is something that is built through culture right there. This whole episode, I guess, the, the, if you had one word to <laughs> sum up this episode besides the phrase, our coaches suck, <laughs> it's culture. Yeah. So that's – that's all I've got right now. Um, is there anything else you have? I mean, I think we could go on for another two hours if we really wanted to, but I think we've got in a great amount for the, the amount of time that we've gotten into, so I think it's good to go ahead and end it here. I know we got a lot of questions about who would we want to replace O'Brien and Pete Golding. We're not going to get into that right now um, just because the season's still going on, but we are going to do an episode after the season, after all the departures on who we think would be the best fits right there. Yeah. Um, but we're going to come back later this week, um, talk about Ole Miss a little bit. Uh, thank you guys a lot for listening. I know it's a tough time right now. Um, keep your head up strong. Basketball starts Monday. <laughs> Let's Hopefully they bring us some bring us some joy right there. But um, Hopefully the women's soccer team ends up winning today I know. also. Yeah, hopefully so. I saw they were down one to nothing as we were recording this, but hopefully they can come back and win the SEC. But – Um, Until next time, guys, thank you guys for listening. Please let us know what you think about this episode and the reviews and the comments anywhere. So uh, roll tide, guys. Roll tide.